good morning. How, how many of you have been praying for rain? We say we might get some today. That would be a blessing, particularly if you garden. Anyhow, that was free. I'm Ray Schultz, and um, Barb and I have been a part of Glad Tidings. Uh, my expression is since sliced bread was invented, but uh, it's been a long time, over 60 years, and we've always rejoiced in being part of this family. And uh, so the pastors ask us from time to time to mention what we may have been involved in to encourage you to be a part not only of coming and are given, but also serving. And there's, there's all kinds of ways you can serve. Uh, we have those who volunteer to clean, to teach, to, to take up offerings, to whatever. There's always a place, and if you don't think you have one, uh, just ask the, the ladies. <laughs> they seem to have more information than, than the men. They will find a place for you. So with that, would you stand with me for the reading this morning? And we're going to be reading from Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 through 30. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then, whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved even by God himself. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. We are in this struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past, and you know that I, I am still in the midst of it. Amen, amen. We continue today in our series that's going on this summer on the book of Philippians. This is an incredible book. The Apostle Paul writes from actually being in prison. So you've got a man in prison who doesn't even know if he's going to make it out alive, who is writing to a church that's facing persecution and struggle and pain, but he's writing to them for the purpose of joy. And so this is a message that's pertinent to us today because we are called to be people who are joyful, that are full of joy in the Lord. And so um, I'm just excited today for what God has in store for us. But as we're learning this right across the hallway, our kids are in the process. They're going through the Bible Engagement Project. And today they're in the book of Judges and they're looking at the fact that God believes in me. And their faith verse this week right now is, don't be afraid for I am with you. Don't be discouraged for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you with my victorious right hand. And so parents, we've got two different things for you. We've got this current Bible verse with a little graphic that your kids can use to help them memorize it. It's got uh, every single one of the, the words in the verse is symbolized by a letter so that they can help them learn the word of God. Because how many of you know that we need to hide the word of God in our heart? 
Also with that, we have our summer family resource that parents, if you've got, you can just take this, put it on your kitchen table. It gives you eight different weeks, so all the summer covered with two different spiritual conversations that you can have with your kids all summer long, where they engage things like love and kindness and their identity in Christ. And so we are, um, we're excited to partner with you as you engage your kids in being spiritually formed followers of Jesus All right, so let's go to the Father in prayer and invite him to speak to us this morning. Father, we come before you. Lord, your word is living, it's powerful, it's active, and it can produce incredible results in hearts that are fertile ground. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray, will you do a supernatural work in our own hearts to till up the soil? Remove any weeds, remove any rock or stone that wants to stop it from penetrating to the depths of our soul, and in its place would you put a heart that is hungry for the things of God, a heart that's hungry to hear from you. And Jesus, we ask that you would supernaturally today speak to us, in your name we pray. Amen, 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 amen. We're going to start this morning by talking about the fact that we must have a wartime mentality. I want to read you, it won't be on the screen, but I just want to read you from the verses we just read this morning that Ray read to us. Notice some of the language he used. He says, when I come again to see you, I want to know that you're standing together with one spirit and purpose, fighting together for the faith, fighting And then he talks about the enemies and that there's this struggle that's going on. We need to have a wartime mentality. Um, You've heard this thing before. If you give a mouse a cookie, he's going to ask for milk too. That's right. And and this is like an old classic story. If you give a mouse a cookie, they're going to ask for milk. I, I think about this. I'll never forget one of the advice that I got from my mom as a kid. And this was incredible advice. She said to me, Joshua whenever I'd go to school, do whatever, ever, 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 ever you can to avoid a fight. Don't get into it. Don't try to like start one. Don't try to, but if it starts, you finish it. (laughs) That was the advice from my mom. It was one of those like, you do everything that you can, but if push comes to shove and it actually happens, then, then you better be prepared and, you know, take care of business. We need to have a wartime mentality whenever we come to the scripture we think about today. That's what Paul is challenging with us with. He's saying you need to live a life that's worthy of the calling that you've received. But he also says this about that, that in order to do that, you need to realize that your enemies picked a fight. Some of you are like, I understand that. This last week was a fight, right? I, I'm, a, I'm a history major, so I love history. When you look at World War II... There's two key significant figures that played out in the nation of England. Uh, There were two prime ministers that were back-to-back, Chamberlain and Churchill, okay? Chamberlain had just felt the effects of World War I and was doing everything that he could to avoid another costly war. So 
They saw Hitler on the rise. They saw an enemy gaining power. They saw him absorbing and building an army and preparing and all these different things. But they didn't want to have to deal with the cost of going to battle to stop the enemy. And so what happened was there was a period of talks, and what happened was what historians, they call it appeasement, where they kept saying, okay, we'll let you take this land, and we'll let you take this land, and we'll let you slide and do this, as long as you promise not to start another war. And in doing so, there was a moment where Chamberlain, he came back to England after one of these times where he had met with the enemy, Hitler, I mean, and literally he comes before the entire people and he, he basically says, peace in our time. Man, was he ever wrong. The exact opposite, because the truth is, if you give a mouse a cookie, they're going to ask for milk. And the enemy, Hitler, was just biding his time, gaining forces, gaining strength, unopposed to continue to grow in strength. But then there was another man, Winston Churchill. I want you to read his different perspective. This is what he said. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. Got a question. In the middle of a battle, which leader do you want? Yeah, seriously, I mean, think about it. Do you want the guy who's like, oh, we'll just keep giving and giving and giving and like we're not going to oppose? Or do you want the guy who's like, wherever the enemy is, there is no surrender. Wherever we find him, like there's going to be, we're going to defend, we're going to fight at whatever cost we're willing to do. I, I think of this, Churchill was, I mean, not Churchill, Chamberlain was willing to do almost anything to avoid having to engage in another battle. But Churchill was the exact opposite. Paul's call to the Philippian church here in this moment was a wartime mentality. He is challenging them. He's saying, listen, close up your ranks and stand together. Fight for what matters, but also avoid careless battles. Can I tell you something? A lot of times in the church world, what happens is is careless battles. Man, the, the, the bickering and things that can happen over the smallest of things is insane what can happen in the church world. But what we need to realize is we need to grapple with the reality of war. Grappling with the reality of war. Paul gives us some insight in this section to three specific types of attacks. Outside, inside, and within. The first is the outside. It's persecution for the faith. Paul experienced this in Philippi. He was thrown into a a prison. He's probably right now in a Roman prison. There's pressure to conform. There's hatred against Christianity. They're starting to blackball people's businesses. And so to become and to stay a follower of Christ is to face very real opposition from the enemy and persecution. The second was opposition from within. There was attacks of false teaching that you read through all of Paul's letters and he's constantly having to say, this is true faith, this is not. You're tr- so there's people who are trying to bit, like sell you a bill of goods that's just not even true, even remotely. And one of these false teachings that was going on was a challenge to the Christian church to conform, to not stand out because they saw persecution as like opposition to God's best for your life. And so they saw self-righteousness that was tied to salvation, where you must do, you must work, you must earn for your salvation. Paul attacks both. And then lastly, the third way, 
is Paul talks about divisions, disagreements, inward arguments that come about when the pressure from those previous two heighten up like a pressure cooker, right? And it builds where it feels like there's just so much surrounding you that then suddenly there's like inner animosity and division. Paul, as he writes this, his ultimate goal for the Philippian church is he wants them to be unified. And there's three things that stand against it. Persecution, conformity, and division and isolation. So let's look at unity blocker number one, the badge of blessing. Notice what he says here. He says, for you've been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the, uh, can we go back one, sorry. You've been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the what? The privilege of suffering for him. Hang on to that. That's important. We are in this struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past, and you know that I'm still in the midst. There is a false belief that was at Paul's time and most certainly is prevalent in today, and it's that the false belief is the badge of blessing. Okay? In other words, what they say here is to be a Christian is to, be, to live the blessed life. Health, wealth, comfort, luxury, all these things. Like, it, If you truly trust God and you have enough faith and you have all these different things, then you should just be living in opulence and privilege and blessing and all these different things. Can I tell you something? That is most certainly not what the word of God says. Now, does God bless? Absolutely. Does he do those things? But are all of those a sign of the fact that, hey, this person right here is 110% blessed by God? When was Jesus most in alignment with the will of God? Obviously his whole life, but most certainly as he approached the cross. The cross that would take everything from him, every ounce and drop of blood. And what happened was, is that Paul actually was, there's false teachers who were going around and they're like, you can't trust this guy. He's not a real apostle. You shouldn't be listening to what he has to say. And their defense for not listening to Paul was his persecuted life. <laughs> Think about that. They're like, don't listen to him. He's not a good teacher. He's not really blessed by God because look how much persecution he's getting into. Paul's like, look how much persecution I'm getting into because I'm following after God. Seriously, he, he's going to tell them, he goes, you think your badge is blessing, that in order to really be in alignment with the will of God, then just blessing should be constantly from our Western mindset of blessing. What, what did Jesus have to say about blessing? Yeah. Think of the Beatitudes. That, that list is not the same list that the prosperity gospel has, not even remotely. And what you see here, though, is that they had this concept of this badge of blessing, that if you're going to follow after Christ and do it, then just great things should constantly flow to you. But what about Abraham? What about Joseph? What about David? What about the apostles? <laughs> right? If, if the truest blessing of God is just wealth, luxury, and opulence, then how about the fact that all 12 of the disciples essentially died for their faith? The only one who didn't get like brutally murdered for the faith was John. And history tells us that they boiled him alive. He just wouldn't die. I mean, can you imagine? And then they throw him off on an island hoping that he'll just waste away there. Instead, he starts writing letters. And they're like, okay, we can't deal with him. Just send him back. <laughs> and he goes around, he tours churches, and he keeps telling them about the love of Jesus. See, what Paul is challenging here is he's going, you need to realize that persecution 
is coming and that to inherit Jesus and to follow after him, if trials come, it does not mean that you lack faith, that you lack blessing, or that you lack even being called. This was something that was taught then and it's still taught now and it's fundamentally not true. Paul deals with this and he says, there was those who saw his suffering, his imprisonment, his beatings as signs he wasn't apostle and he challenges them and goes, I absolutely am. In fact, they are proof that I am. Where their belief, their badge is blessing, Paul would say true belief is the badge of the cross. God blesses you when people mock you persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. This is Jesus speaking. Be happy about it. Be very glad for great reward awaits you in heaven and remember the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way as this. Jesus says, listen to me, you want to know what the real badge is? It's the badge of the cross. It's saying, I'm going to lay my life, my will, my rights down for the sake of pursuing him. And Paul gives his life as proof of that. Jesus says, blessed are those who are poor, who mourn, who are humble, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who are merciful, pure in heart, and peacemakers. Now listen, I'm not telling you that like if you're persecuted because you're a jerk that you're blessed. (laughs) If you're a punk and you just get yourself into trouble constantly, listen to me, that's not Jesus going, great job. (laughs) Nor do the rest of us applaud you either, right? This is talking about when you stand up for what is true and what's right, and in the process of doing so, persecution comes. That's where there's blessing. Paul, he lists his hardships. He says, five times I received the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Three times I was shipwrecked. I was stuck out at sea for a day and night in constant peril from outside forces and inside forces. I was often left hungry and thirsty, often left out in the cold and even naked. And then I also have on top of all that the pressure of the churches that I care for. That's a lot. And so one of the ways that the enemy attempts to block unity is through persecution. The second way is through conformity. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Um, have you ever as noticed as humans how great we are at conforming? As a youth pastor for many, many years, it was always incredible to watch students change over time based on the groups that they were with. They could kind of conform. They'd hop in a group and suddenly like they were all about that. But we see it with adults too. For instance, um, I actually watched someone become a New England Patriots fan because of a dating relationship. And I about barfed on them. Um, I was like, blasphemy. (laughs) We speak against that demon in the name of Jesus. (laughs) My point is, is, is we, are, we can be great at conformity. Um, I, as a parent, that's kind of scary when you see your kids start to model some of your behavior, <laughs> right? Um, you're like, ooh, 
that one hit a little too close to home. <laughs> the Holy Spirit's like, that's right, I'm giving you a message through your kids to you. <laughs> Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. One of the great ways that can block unity is through conforming to the patterns of this world. My question for us is, where does your true identity, where does your true desire, where is your true treasure rest? Is it in heaven? Is your citizenship there? Or are you really comfortable to this world? Think of that word citizenship. It means the position and status of being a citizen of a particular country. A citizen of the United States can live somewhere else. You can live in a completely different country. But what that means is that your ultimate allegiance and identity is to the values of your home nation. Of your home nation. That's where your citizenship is. You might live somewhere else, but you're saying, I want my life to reflect the values of my home. Like when an ambassador moves to another country, they literally become a living, breathing monument of the nation they're from. They hold the values. When they speak to that country, that country takes it as if the United States of America is speaking to them through that ambassador. Think of the prodigal son story. It's a perfect story about conformity. His desire was to conform to the patterns of the world and to abandon his citizenship and his identity with his family. How do we know that? He lives, he moves, he acts in all the ways that reflected the values of the world and that were the exact opposite of his father. His actions were as if he was saying, I'm no longer your son and you are no longer my father. I am this now and I will live in direct opposition to everything that you think and believe until he came to his senses. He desired to conform until he understood the beauty of his true citizenship. Read with me Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Now listen to these next words. Don't be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you may discern what is good, pleasing, and the perfect will of God. I love this version because the nuance it adds to it is don't be conformed. Other versions say to the patterns of this world, but this one says don't be conformed to this age because how many of you know that our age has certain patterns? Doesn't matter where you lived in human history, there was brokenness at every single stage that there was cultural patterns that afflicted and attacked and persecuted the people of God. If you were born during the time of Thomas Jefferson, one of the greatest attacks against the word of God was a disbelief in miracles. And so you actually had a group of churches that started to buy into this false belief that just started to believe, well, I'll believe the Bible, just not anything it says about miracles. That's scary. What about the resurrection? What about the virgin birth? He started plucking those out of scripture. Why? To conform to the pattern of their age. Right now, our ch the church of today in, in America and in the West, it's directly under specific attacks in regards to sexuality and gender and identity. 
Every single age has a specific attack against it. And so what Paul says here is, listen to me, he says, what I want to challenge you is, is don't be conformed to your age. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can discern the good, pleasing will of God. One of the great ways that unity can be blocked is whenever we choose to conform. Listen to me. You can either be conformed to the age or be transformed by God. But always one of the two will happen. Always one of the two will happen. You can either be conformed to the age or transformed by God. The third unity blocker is division and isolation. Then whether I come and see you again or I only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit, one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. The goal of the enemy is to put you into a pressure cooker. Ever messed with a pressure cooker when the pressure is at really high? My wife's got one of those Instapots, and I didn't realize it was on. And there's a little like spout thing that releases the pressure. Yeah, you know where this story is going. I was like, what is this thing? And I, I turned it so that it released it, and my fingers were right in front of it. And instantly, pressure shoots out, scalding hot steam. I'm screaming like a banshee running through the house, like holding my fingers. And the rest of my family is like, what's going on? <laughs> They're thinking like someone just broke in and attacked. Our lives, the enemy, one of the things that he wants to do, especially with our lives and other churches, is he wants to place you inside such pressure from the inside and from the outside that it causes you and I to change how we see each other. Have you ever, don't raise your hand, have you ever blown up on someone when you weren't even remotely mad at them but you were somebody else? Ever came home with your baggage and it's, been unloaded on the wrong person? What happens in those moments is like we, it's like our heart feels like it's just rubber bands that have been tightly wound, 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 and then it's like it explodes all in one moment. And we can suddenly take the most minute little thing of the person we love and dump on them all the baggage from the rest of our day without even realizing it. And what's happening in that moment is we are looking for the release valve, but we unleash it on the wrong area. The enemy thrives in this. Where we get so bound up with what's going on in our lives that there's so much pressure that's built up that suddenly now, when we come to church, it's almost like we're looking for the shoe to drop. We're looking for that person to do something wrong we're, because we've turned a person almost into like an object of our frustration. And in doing so, we will do two things. We'll either create division or we'll choose isolation. We'll create division or we'll choose isolation. One of the greatest attacks of the enemy for your life will sound something like this. They're just a bunch of hypocrites. They don't have their act together. You should just go do you and God by yourself. <laughs> if that's not the mantra of our current age, I don't know what is. Right. Just, just go do your Christianity. Just do it by yourself. All you need is just you and Jesus. 
talked about this already, but just a few weeks ago, the Surgeon General of the United States just issued a warning for what they could deem as almost like a pandemic. And it was a pandemic of loneliness and isolation where we are now reaping the effects and they are saying, catch this, this is not some spiritualized, this is the Surgeon General, and they're saying the effects of the loneliness and isolation that is happening in our country right now is the same equivalent as a person smoking 15 cigarettes a day. That's how unhealthy it is. Think about that for a moment. But this is what the enemy does. He goes, just you and Jesus, all by yourself. Don't worry about the church. Don't worry about being in community. You just need to go do you, you and Jesus time, and, and just don't worry about any of that other kind of stuff. Well, let me ask you a question. Who does the lion go for? The, the, the animal in isolation. A lion never, ever, ever attacks a herd of elephants because the lion is not dumb. The lion that tries to attack a herd of elephants is the last day that that lion breathes. Seriously. But that elephant that moves off to isolation to go check something by itself away from the herd gets picked off. The same is true. The enemy is like a raging, roaring lion seeking those it can devour. I want you to think about it from just one more perspective. Um, the enemy's goal is to get you alone, and there's a reason for that. Uh, I want you to just imagine a scenario with me right now. Go back to your, your elementary days. Think of tug of war. You remember field day? Good old tug of war. Big mud pit right in the middle. I don't know if they, maybe they didn't do mud at yours, but we did in our youth group. Um, <laughs> big mud pit. If I'm on this side, and my son Jason's on that side, who's winning? I hope you're rooting for me, folks. Don't think that badly of your pastor. I'm like, well, you know, you've kind of slipped in your old age, Pastor Jason might take it. <laughs> He's going down. I'm just being real here. But if you take the entire kids' church, your pastor's getting drug across the mud. There's power in unity. There's power against your enemy when we are unified. That's why he wants us divided and broken. What we need to understand, you know, Paul's been talking to the Philippians about joy. How do you find joy in the battle? How do you find joy amidst the pressure, amidst the opposition, amidst the call to conformity, amidst all those different things? Can I tell you that unity is one of the great ways in which we find joy in the midst of the battle. The church, hear this, not you in isolation. The church of Jesus Christ is the force that the gates of hell cannot stand against. It's the body of Christ. I don't know if you've ever noticed this because I remember the, it used to always be preached like, you know, and the, the gates of hell will not stand up against it as if like the gates of hell were like the opposition, like it was coming against us. Have you ever seen a gate attack someone? Some of you are like, actually, <laughs> look, you had a weird cousin. That's a whole different story, all right? The gates, of, gates are not an offensive weapon. They're to keep something out. They're to hold up against, to keep something out. And what the Bible says is that 
the church of Jesus Christ, that the gates of hell cannot stand up against it, but not against just you in isolation. Not against you just doing you and Jesus alone. It's the body of Christ unified. What we see is this, is number one, we need each other. You know, we go back to that tug of war illustration. Um, Three versus one is a no-brainer. You're going to lose. Period. If there's three people against just you, you're going to lose. But you take those exact same three people, you take conformity, you take division, you take the fact that's trying to cause all that pressure, and you put it up against the entire church, standing unified, guess what? The enemy's going down. There is power. We need each other. We need each other. We need to realize we need each other. For whatever reason, our culture has bought into this, I don't need anyone. The goal of our culture right now, especially when, I'll just be honest right now, for men is like, one of the things our culture speaks up to men is like, you need to pull up your britches, put on your big boy pants, figure it out yourself and not rely on anybody else. The self-made man is a tragedy. Let me say that again. The self-made man is a tragedy. We look at a generation that's growing up in the church right now and they have no mentors. Most of us in this room, we can point to godly men that reached out to us, that, that, that like helped to develop us. But we've got a generation growing up right now that the culture's telling them, don't you dare rely on anybody else. Do it yourself. Figure it out. Find your own way. Don't rely on anybody. And we're just seeing the reaping results of tragedy after tragedy after tragedy. We need each other. We need to be able to speak life into each other. We need accountability. We need people who are going to pull us forward. I'm thankful for the incredible men in my life that throughout the years have pulled me towards Jesus when my butt was sitting on the ground. Secondly, we need unity, not uniformity. How many of you are thankful for that? I thought about this as I was writing this sermon today. How absolutely terrifying it would be to pastor a church full of Josh Johnsons. <laughs> I would have already quit. <laughs> I would have looked at myself and been like, you're doing that wrong. And the other one would be like, no, you're doing that wrong. And the next thing, <laughs> Uniformity means exactly the same carbon copy. Um, problems with uniformity is huge because what Christ has called the church to is not uniformity but to unity and unity is diversity that's been empowered with unity let me say that again unity is diversity that has been empowered with unity if you have the same group of friends that all think alike listen to me if you all have the same mentality there's no growth if you all have the exact same activity there's no adventure. If you have the exact same circle of friends and only that circle of friends, there's no evangelism. And if you all have the exact same spiritual gifts, then there's blind spots and weaknesses. I need people in my life who don't think like me. Because I don't get it right that often. (laughs) I need people in my life who can look at me and go, hey... 
Do, do you see this? Like, uh, that's one of the greatest blessings that God has ever given to me is my wife, right? There's times where she says things and I'm just like, huh, never thought about that. <laughs> My wife has an incredible, generous, giving heart. She is always thinking about other people and like how we can be a blessing to them and like where they're at in their life and what they're going through. I like the sermon, like the illustration I gave you earlier. I'm so task oriented. Ninety percent of the time, I'm thinking of the seventeen other things that I have to get accomplished that day that I can miss the person if I'm not careful. And my wife's good enough to be like, "Slack, did you see? Oh, yeah, okay." Like spiritually, she's there to be able to go, hey, Josh, are you aware of this? Did you see that? Did you? And I'm so thankful for that because she is the exact opposite of me. And that's, have you noticed that opposites attract? And, and that's important. Now, that also creates sometimes chaos. <laughs> I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but how many married couple in the room have gotten in an argument over which way the toilet paper goes? Know what I'm talking about? Know what I'm talking about? First few years of marriage, you're like, I love this person, but I also might kill them. <laughs> we need unity, not uniformity. Unified marriage means that they help you see, experience, and even strengthen your families in ways you could never do alone. We need that. Thirdly, we need the power of unified diversity. Both God and the enemy try to leverage diversity. The enemy will highlight the differences between you and that person and cause you to want to quit and leave. I can't believe they did it that way. I wouldn't have done it that way. You're right. You wouldn't have. And sometimes that's a very good thing. That they had a different way of doing it. See, listen to me. Diversity can be the place where selfishness grows. Where we allow weakness and pain and chaos and division and brokenness. And we leave in its place a trail of destruction. See, the enemy will cause you to see and it will highlight all the differences of the per- people in the room and how you are far better than them and how your way should be the right way and that they're doing it wrong and blah, 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 blah. God will highlight the differences to cause you to grow. Diversity is where unity grows in strength, empowerment, growth, community, healing, beauty, and blessing. Unity is diversity when it's paired with alignment. I want you to see this picture. I love this picture because it's like one dad against an army of children. And look at that second girl's face. If that is not like sheer determination, but I want you to see, this is why I love this picture so much. Look at the differences in all the kids' faces. You've got kid number one who's like, this is fun, I want to win. You've got kid number two that's like, dad, I will cut you to win. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like this girl's like, I will cheat. I'll do whatever it takes. I'm not losing this. Then you get to like the third kid who's just like, I just want to be in the shot, right? <laughs> and then you get to the girl behind him that's just smiling like, this is fun, right? What you see on this team is diversity. Different attitudes, different perspectives, but it's diversity with alignment. They're all pulling in the same direction. That's supposed to be a picture of the church of Jesus Christ. Yeah. 
Some of you in this room, you've got the gift of hospitality. Someone walks into your home or into an event or something that you've created and instantly they feel like, man, I am home. Some of you, you've got the, the gift of like discernment. You've got the, the gift of, of serving others. Like you're incredible at it. Some of you, you, you are such an encouragement to people. There, there's many of you in this room, there's been key moments that you've spoken a word of encouragement to me and to my family that's lifted us up amidst all the strife that kind of comes with ministry. Can I tell you something? God has uniquely placed all those gifts together in one body to build the body, not just the individual. And when we are unified in the midst of our diversity, the enemy is terrified. Because he's going, I tried to get them to see their differences as a problem, but they see their differences as the solution. And they are unified around a core set of values and mission. Where we're saying, the name of Jesus being made great here in Hartford City, Blackford County, and to the nations is what we're going to fight for. And so what we do is we say, hey, you're different than me but I need you on the line. Will you pick up the rope with me? Hey, you've got a different gift than me, but I need you on the line. Can you pick up the rope? Listen to me. In just a few matter of minutes even, this whole church is going to be radically transformed to look like Vacation Bible School. And it's going to be awesome. Jasmine and a, and a few other people have already created a really cool set. There's going to be like a castle. There's all kinds of stuff. Let me tell you what. You don't want your, your pastor making the castle. <laughs> There's going to be people who are leading games and engaging with kids. Guess what? You don't want your pastor being the one engaging with kids. <laughs> you want the people who, like, their greatest sense of joy is sitting down with a toddler and being like, let me tell you about Jesus. Someone like Miss Sandy. That's going to sit down there and take a squirrely, Calvin and a squirrely Jackson and be like, both these kids are going to wreak havoc for the name of Jesus in years to come. And so I'm going to invest in them. Like We need that diversity. And when we harness that and leverage it for the kingdom of God, great things happen. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news of Jesus. Then, whenever I come and see you again and are only hear about you, I will know you're standing together with one spirit, one purpose, fighting for the faith, which is the good news. Listen to me. We must fight for godly community and unity. We need to fight for each other, not with each other. The enemy's goal is to get you isolated. He will do anything and everything that he can to make you feel alone and to pull away from the people of God. God's goal is to make a strong, powerful, unified church. So let's ask this question as we bring this to a close. How is unity connected to joy? How does that make sense? Or why would that be? Let me give you a few examples of this. Paul contends for unity because in unity we find the power to not just face persecution, face trials, and face suffering, but to face them with joy. 
every person in this room, there's been moments of your life where you felt like you walked through hell and back. Am I right? There's some things that you have faced that you have gone through. Can I tell you something? The incredible power and the beauty of unity is it creates this supernatural force that when life throws its absolute worst at you and the enemy tries to whisper you're alone, the beauty of unity is you've got a chorus, a resounding choir that doesn't whisper back, they shout back to you, you are not alone. We are with you. We are for you. I'm here today. My brother's here today. All of you are here today because there was a chorus of people who prayed you through. Prayed you through. I'm here today preaching because there is faithful, godly mom and dad and grandparents and many other people in my life that were like, Jesus, I see something, do something in him. Many of you, you're here, you've seen miracle after miracle after miracle that God has performed and done incredible things because of the power of praying people. Unity is connected to joy because you see, there's an incredible blessing that comes from the fact that whenever you're a part of the body of Christ and you're giving of yourself, you're giving of your life, you're being generous with your time, you're, you're growing in relationship, that when life throws its absolute worst at you, you still have joy because the people of God have rallied around you and they remind you of the promises of God. Paul, he writes to the Philippian church from jail, from prison, not knowing if he's going to make it. And he looks at them and he says, you, Philippian church, are my joy. You've supported me. You've helped me. You've sent, you've sent me supplies. You've taken care of my needs on many different journeys. Like, you've been there by my side. We were united together. And so I take joy in you. But the enemy... He wants you disconnected from joy. He wants you in that place like what the Surgeon General has just talked about. He wants you to be part of the pandemic that's sweeping across America of, I feel isolated, I feel alone, I feel like no one knows me, I feel like no one understands me, I feel like I am suffering in silence and that no one has any clue what's going on. Anxiety is on the highest rise it's ever been in our nation. Depression is on the highest rise it's ever been in our nation. Suicidal thoughts are on the highest they have ever been in our nation, ever to date. More people right now are medically prescribed for all those things than any time in human history because the enemy is very, very, very good. And he wants you isolated. So as a pastor, my call for you, my pleading heart is join together. Pick up the rope. The person next to you is not going to be like you. And thank God for that. Seriously. Some of my greatest relationships have been people far older than me in age. 
my best friend whenever I lived in Akron was a 60-year-old African-American pastor named Francel Parker, who me and him were beyond tight. We were, there are so many things that are completely different than us, and yet there were so many things that were perfect for us together. We had some fun, let me tell you what. I could tell you some stories, I don't got time, but... But whenever we embrace the diversity and we pick up the rope together, there is joy in the battle. So I plead with you today, don't allow persecution to keep you from unity. Don't allow conformity to keep you from unity. And don't allow the pressure cooker of this life to cause you to change the way that you see people and go, it'd be better if I just went alone. God is fighting for your joy and it's found in the context of unity. Let me pray. Father, we come before you. Spirit of God, we pray that your presence would rest in this place. That, Lord, you would do what only you can do. Lord, I pray right now in the name of Jesus for that person right now in this room. That, God, the, the enemy has been at work in their lives. He has left a trail of pain and destruction where they feel like I am alone. No one knows. No one understands. It's probably just better if I just go it alone from here on out. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that they would hear the word of God ring to their heart and say, you were designed and created for community. And it's going to be with diverse people who aren't like you. And that we're called to be the people of God who pick up the rope and say, God, I will fight for what matters. Lord, would you stir inside us today a desire to be the people of God, to be the church that walks worthy of the calling we have received. And that, Lord, in our lives, we would display the truth of who you are. In your mighty name we pray. Amen.